Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. And I'm Joey Boudreaux. Oh, Joe, what's going on there? Oh, I got a little horse last night. Yeah? I was preaching the, the good word of organ donation yes. from the rooftop. Yes. And, uh, I'm totally and I just buying lost this my voice now. This yeah. Uh, this is an exciting time. Not only are we um, in the middle of another podcast, but we are live here at Lopa's Education Conference, which is held in New Orleans. Yes, I'm putting yes. pieces together now about Absolutely. what's happening. Okay. So we're at the Lopa Education Conference where you're live. We have a live audience. Hi, everybody. Hey, guys. There they are. Glad y'all can join us. Our friends, our family, but mostly Lopa lifesavers from across the state. We are here continuing our education. We are being inspired about what we do, and that's making life happen. So we have lots to get to today. Um, one of the things that we're going to be doing is trying to get this podcast um, to reflect what we're doing here in New Orleans. So we have some pretty special guests that you will hear from today. I can't wait. We have some really good guests on tap. We got Stacy Landry, who put a, a great education conference together for us. So I'm looking forward to this podcast and, and the rest of our day. Yeah, we're going to talk to her. Uh, Jamie Napolitano is here. She is a grateful recipient who pays it forward all the time, and she's going to help us honor a hero. Plus, she's here at the conference helping us out. We'll talk about that. Miss Sally's here. Absolutely. Sally Gentry is going to be here again. We always get questions about family, uh, you know, communication and different things about how can a family donor family actually communicate with the recipient. Does this happen? Is there a time frame? So we're going to have Sally on talking about that. Yeah, if there's someone who knows, it's our Sally. Absolutely. Also, we'll talk to Richard Norris. If you Google his name, wow. I mean, pretty famous face transplant recipient. We have so many questions here. We're going to talk to him um, as well. We'll also have um, questions from our lovely audience. Ooh. So you guys, be, be ready. Be prepared. Yeah, right. Okay. So you mentioned Stacy earlier. She is Lopa's human systems manager and she's Fancy kind of the title. brain trust about what, you know what's going on here in New Orleans, Lopa's education conference. We were talking about how inspired we are, how wonderful this all was, but it must have been a nightmare planning. So good um, for you, girl. Yeah, thanks. Um, it was a, a lot of work, um, but I can't take all the credit for it. Uh, Miss Lynette uh, Lamarck was a huge help Shout um, out. With, with getting uh, that all together. But yeah, we're wrapping up day two here at our first ever Lopa Education Conference at the Hotel Montalion in the French Quarter in the great city of New Orleans. Which has been amazing. Yes. And uh, you know, Laurie, we don't have the opportunity to send our all of our employees to these big national conferences like uh, AOPO and AATB. So we thought we would bring that experience uh, to them here in New Orleans. And I think it's been a great experience so far. We've had some really great speakers and some great topics. Absolutely. We had uh, multiple physicians yesterday giving really good talks and today. And I, I have not gotten one negative comment about this entire two days. It's been fantastic, Stacey. And I applaud you for putting on such a great conference. I'm glad that everyone's enjoying it. 
It has been awesome. One of the things that we've been talking about is putting everything that we learned here back into the communities where we work across the state. So it's amazing. Thank you very much, Stacy Landry. I guess we got to let her get back to work. Absolutely. Great. There Thank you, you for having me. Thank you, Stacy Landry, and she is Lopa's Human Systems Manager. Like we said, lots going on here on the Gifted Life. We're easy to find. Please spread the word. Uh, we can all do one thing to help spread the message about making life happen. It's very easy. We try to make it as easy as possible. We do, and don't forget, you guys can find us on iTunes or whatever your favorite app might be. But listen to us. Spread the word. More to come. It is time now to honor a hero, and to do that, we are bringing in a very special guest, and she is dear to a lot of us here at LOPA. Her name is Jamie Napolitano. She is a grateful recipient who pays it forward time and again and helps us honor her hero, Cameron Burleson. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we appreciate you being here. Um, First of all, um, tell us about your story. We know you have some precious babies that you are here to watch them grow. That's right. Yeah. Right before I had my transplant, my, my twins were two years old, and it got to the point where I couldn't, I couldn't even carry them, I couldn't play with them, I was sleeping most of the day, so I wasn't able to be much of a mother during that time. But after I received my heart transplant, I mean, my life completely changed. Um, the decision that they made to say yes to organ donation, now I'm able to, you know, and gymnastics and teach them to ride bikes and I ended up teaching the whole neighborhood how to ride bikes <laughs> um, once they saw that um, it's just the gift that it's been so precious not only to me but my family as well. And what's awesome is um, you've met your donors, parents, yes. and we captured a moment on video that was emotional. We know you're emotional now, um, but tell us what that was like and what that meant to you. Yes, when I went, um, I went to the transplant games in Houston last summer, and I'd been communicating with my um, donor, Cameron's parents, and they agreed to meet me there. And so um, whenever we met, you know, we knew we were family, and they were so gracious and, you know, just explained how knowing that, you know, Cameron lives on not only through me but through others, um, it was very special for all of us. And, and they enjoyed participating in, in the games where I was able to do things that I'd never been able to do, you know, like run, track, which... And win medals. And win, yes, win she, She's a winner. Yes, <laughs> with Cameron's heart, that's right. And um, his, da- his dad was at the finish line every time. Oh, and what was uh, amazing is that both of you and them say y'all are all family now, which is amazing. You can actually watch the video on um, Donate Life Louisiana's YouTube channel. It's very touching. We use it in our presentations. Um, we have that to learn from you as well. You're also a child life specialist, so you're helping us here at the conference too. About right. Um, yes. Before I had my transplant, I worked with children in the pediatric hospital and a lot of transplant patients or patients that were waiting um, for the gift of life. And so um, I helped children cope being in the hospital setting. And here I was able to talk a little bit about how children grieve and mourn and um, to help the staff understand how they can help children and families during this time. A learning process, and we appreciate you taking the time. I also hear Transplant Games 2016 is on 
your calendar? That's right. Yeah. More medals to be won. Oh, <laughs> excuse me. I like that. More medals to be won. And um, so Cameron's family is going to be included. You guys have things that are coming up where y'all are together and... That's right. That's right. Family added, things, I would say. Right. Yeah. Right. They've already, um, since we met just a little over a year ago, um, we went down to Austin to join them in a walk for suicide prevention. Mm -hmm. And then they came here for my husband's 50th birthday surprise party. Oh, oh wow. Uh, they're coming here this weekend to go to the Saints Cowboys game with us. I'll be there. And then again in a few weeks for the Donate Life America conference. Oh. I love it. I love to mm -hmm. see that. And mm -hmm. I love that you continue to pay it forward. It's just an amazing gift. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm grateful that I'm able to. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you, Miss Jamie Napolitano, Child Life Specialist, um, also a grateful recipient. And um, she was here helping us to honor Cameron Burleson. At this point in the podcast, Joey, as we do in every podcast, uh, we want to pause and we want to say thank you to Cameron Burleson for the gift of life. I feel like we need to have something for Sally. It's Sally time. No, Sally's Sally here. Time. She I'm is. Here. Uh, she is with Lopa. She's in our family services division, and she helps uh, recipients, donor families, us understand the donation process, the communication process, um, and and we ask her about personal problems too. She's Absolutely. just. She's just everybody's everything, right? Jack of all trades, Sally. How, how how are you enjoying this conference, Miss Sal? Very nice, very nice. Yeah, well, we appreciate you joining us here. A little intimidating because we are live in front of our, That's true. our peers, but That's true. Sally doesn't shy time. away from a challenge. We like that. Mm. Uh, let's talk about family services and LOPA. We just heard from Miss Jamie Napolitano. She met her donor family. Mm -hmm. um, that is commonplace now in Absolutely. Louisiana, huh? And for Jamie to explain what that meant for her to meet the family uh, and just the whole process that goes with that because there's a lot of emotions that, that come to play when people are meeting for the first time. Uh, they're able to express their thoughts and feelings. They've never been able to do so before. Um, and I think, too, that just physically, um, when I hear from the transplant center staff, they'll talk about the recipients bring letters and talk about talking with their donor families and what it's meant for them. And actually, physiologically, the healing process seems to go a little bit better with individuals who've had this opportunity because it does reduce a little bit of the stress and yeah. uh, wondering that goes on. So, so tell me, uh, how is it initiated? Is it, a fam is it a letter that's written to you guys or, you know, or do they send a letter to a transplant center? How is that all initi initiated? Actually, all that does come into play. Uh, we do encourage families to write at least one letter um, if they choose to do so. Uh, and we do ask transplant recipients to do the same. But, you know, we have people go, I, what can I say in a letter? I, I don't think I really want to do that. So we have changed up our policy over the years that if they verbally ask us, would you please check with the donor family and or the recipient or their transplant center staff to see if they would like to have communication? Um, that's what we do because we're trying to make it very easy to access one another if that's what both parties want. And there's, a, a, there's kind of a misconception out there, even in the medical uh, field, that people think that there has to be a waiting period. They have to wait six months before they contact, you know, and, and I know you were one of the pioneers in the nation in kind of stopping that and, and, and saying, well, that's not really our place to dictate someone's grieving time periods and when someone can communicate. So can you talk about how that's progressed over the years? I don't know. I think you said that pretty well. <laughs> uh, 
Well, uh, and to go along with that, we just started listening to what donor families said that they would like to have happen for them. And that was, we went through a very difficult time. Please don't make it more difficult for us because we really would like to have this open-ended or just the ability to be open and talk with recipients. So, you know, it used to be several years back that, oh, no, they had to wait a year or they had to write two letters. And sometimes now, even within the industry today, there are many of the other OPOs that, that do require this. But we decided that once we, if we were really going to be an advocate on behalf of the donor family, then we were going to listen to what they chose and what they wanted because, well, you know, guess what? It's not about us. It's really about right. what they want to do. Right. So. And you talked about, you know, you kind of touched on it earlier with the, you know, with the transplant center staff, with the nurses and things, how, you know, that really means a lot to them when they can help facilitate, you know, these conversations and things. I can tell you, you know, from a LOPA standpoint, it's one of the most invigorating things, re-energizing things that, that we do is when we do, when we are a part of that face-to-face mm -hmm. meeting, right. when they meet for the first right. time. Uh, that's my most memorable times, and, and I can't explain how much it really means to us as mm -hmm. a staff. Well, and, and you know, I, I have to tell you that one of the most rewarding parts of my job is not only to be able to, to reach out and help families that, that may need a little bit more from us, but to be able to help them actually have that access of information to talk with the recipients. That feels so good when they say, guess what, I finally had this conversation, you're not gonna believe this. They thought about you know, the colors they like, the food they like. Now whether all that comes into play or not, it doesn't matter because that's how they perceive it and it's a very positive thing. And, I feel good, too, when I get finished, so. Yeah, that's you know. amazing to be a part of. We do want to remind everyone that if you visit LOPA.org, there is a family services tab. And I think over the last couple of months, I had to um, call Sally, and I said, we have this donor family. They want to write that letter. They don't know where to start. So we kind of have that right. online for them, yes. a how-to letter, and then you can help them um, from there. Um, also, we want to talk about how social media plays a part. Um, we had to call in Sally as well. Um, because folks were getting different pieces of information mm -hmm. from social media. It's the sign of the times. Oh, absolutely. And I think, too, that when people have more ready access by us opening up the door, if you will, for communication, there's not such a need to rush out and go onto the Internet to see if they can find a, a recipient mm -hmm. and or vice versa. Because we have had a couple instances where people have gone to the Internet or Facebook or wherever and said, oh, I just know this happens to be my my, you know, recipient of my son or daughter, whatever right. their loved one. And then when we check with the transplant center, we said, mm, would you wait just a few moments, please? Let, let us check with the transplant center. And it wasn't. It might have been two donors in one day. So we do caution that. But, you know, people are going to find people regardless. So we try to make it just as easy of a process as we possibly can. So errors won't be made. But that's no guarantee either. So. And then, Sally, we have some families um, who haven't written in years, sometimes no. over 10 years, and they said, oh, it's the opportunity has since passed. And so when they open that door and we say, well, are you interested, then we have to turn to Sally. Sally, is that still possible? 
One of the best things I can tell you is we had a donor mom that her daughter, it was 20 years ago, her daughter's lung recipient wrote for the very first wow. time. And Sandra would come to all the LOPA events, the picnics, and was always involved in that particular way. And when she got this letter, it, it was just absolutely amazing, the transformation and the way she just talked, and, and you could hear it in her voice. And then she let me know later on that they actually met the whole, all the families got together and met because she was from a, a northern state. So there was kind of, you know, a little bit of journey involved for her. But it, people can write whenever they choose to write. That's, I guess, the bottom line. When you're ready, then we're ready to help you. And we're ready. We like that. That's it. This is Sally Gingery of uh, Lopez Family Services Department, and she'll be joining us here on the podcast. We appreciate you taking yep. that on. Thank you. But we think it's important that people learn what we offer right at LOPA. Absolutely. There's a variety Absolutely. of things, especially yes. in your department. Right, right. So we like it. All right, lopa.org if you want more information. Sally, thank you very much. Thank you. She was great, right, guys? All of our peers. All right. More to come. Sally. Thanks. All right, we have reached our community segment here on The Gifted Life, and we have another special guest. Like we said, we are here in New Orleans at the LOPA Education Conference, and we are trying to bring bits and pieces of what we learned here to you through this podcast, so please share. Uh, but joining us now on The Gifted Life is Richard Norris. Richard received the most extensive transplant ever attempted, a face transplant. The surgery happened back in 2012. And it's a really fascinating story. I read it uh, a couple weeks ago when I heard that he was going to be joining us. 36-hour surgery. Wow. 36, 36. hours. Mm. And, and, you know, I, I didn't really think about it, you know, the risk that's there, you know, until I really read your story, that there's like about a 50% chance of survival just through the surgery itself. That had to be a very uh, yeah, think difficult about that choice to, to make right there. I, I can't imagine. So. so Richard, we want to thank you for volunteering to be here with us today to share your story with us. It's a pleasure. Oh, thank you. Yeah, have we been uh, nice to you so far, Richard? Uh, wonderful. Okay, yeah, wonderful. Uh, we uh, like that. Well, really, How was it <laughs> I, I really enjoy working with the uh, Order to Turn that programs and donate life. Uh, I, I really like to promote that organ donation name. Wow. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Thanks for taking the time to be here. Well, and any an Googling of your name, it's going to tell your tale. So that dates back almost 20 years. There was a gunshot, of which you have no memory, just to kind of fill everybody in, but it left you disfigured. And, and you know, for you guys to, to kind of picture this, and, and, of course, you had pictures. You know, I saw some of the before pictures, mm -hmm. and he had no cheekbones. He had no lips, no tongue, uh, no jaw structure at all. Uh, it pretty much, the, the remaining part of his face, the, the only part that was still intact were his eyes. So uh, a big part of what I read was that it was obviously gave you some social anxiety or su such difficulties, you know, just going out in public. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? And I, I read kind of that you, in your own words, you were kind of a hermit. Uh, actually, I was. It, uh, people really don't understand that when someone is disfigured in the face, you tend to get a lot of stares. You hear a lot of comments. So uh, it, it's really depressing and it's really heartbreaking. So I, I went to where I, I'd only go out at nighttime and I'd only go to places where I knew the, who, who was working there or the people that was there. 
and there's always been long-time plans and started contacting and uh, it was like that for about 15 years. Wow. I mean, that's incredible. We appreciate you sharing. Um, just reading through your story, it says your mom found a reconstructive facial surgeon by searching the internet. So how did you even know, hey, face transplant, that could help, that, well, that could be me? Well, actually we didn't know. Uh, I started off at Doctors Hospital in North Carolina and, uh, you know, reconstructive facial surgery takes a real talented mm -hmm. surgeon. Mm -hmm. And I started off there and they got to a point where they really couldn't go any further. So I went to University of Virginia Medical Center and I had a doctor there and it was what we call nip tuck surgery, just losing a little tissue at a time. And uh, it's actually causing more damage than it was helping because of the scar tissue. And we got on the internet, she started looking for surgeons that specialize in maxillofacial uh, uh, reconstructive surgery and found Dr. Eduardo Rodriguez at, uh, at the time, it was at John Hopkins. Mm -hmm. He was back at John Hopkins and University in Maryland. And he actually called me and asked me to come in on a Saturday when all the offices were closed. Oh, okay. Him and uh, his mentor was there. And we talked for a while and he made a promise to my mother that he would do everything possible to make me look normal again. And at that time, it had never been a, any type of sexual transplant done. Uh, and then later on, he had heard about the one that took place in France. And he started researching it. And then he implemented that he wanted to do a face transplant and I had no idea at the time. I, had, I really had no idea that he was uh, researching and doing new things with face transplant surgery up until 2011 when it was brought to my attention for the program. Well, let me ask you, you said, he said he would make you normal. To you, <coughs> having been a hermit for 15 years, what did normal mean to you? Normal meant to me uh, the same thing it does to everybody. Yeah. Uh, Build able to to go out on the street and not have people staring or, or making read comments. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, I used to wear kind of like a black ski mask that helped put pressure on the face for blood flow. And I actually had people thought that I was robbing the store. Oh, no. <laughs> and uh, I actually had been told over by oh. the police store because they thought, you know, in Virginia, oh. you're not supposed to cover your face up except for medical reasons. And also, uh, recognize who I was because I used to be an exploratory at the sheriff's department and uh, he had stuck with the sheriff and made sure that that never happened again. Oh. So, uh, you know, it takes a, a, a lot of great people in the community to come out and help someone. So tell me once, you know, so you met Dr. Rodriguez and, uh, and you guys talked about it and then, you know, you referenced the, uh, the, the initial face transplant that happened in France. That was actually a partial yeah, uh, uh, it was just uh, the lips, I believe, right, uh, right around the area where, uh, unfortunately, she had a, a dog to gnaw her a little bit. So there was a, a, a huge leap forward, you know, from a medical standpoint, from just the lips, you know, a partial transplant to, to, to realizing that, you know, he may be able to transplant an entire face. Uh, what type of time frame took place from the time you guys uh, initially started talking and then, and then when things really uh, came into fruition? Uh, we started, uh, they dropped the transplant to my attention in uh, May of 2011. And then uh, I went home, I stuck with my family, 
uh, my father was a little reprehensive about it to him that didn't matter. Uh, but to me, it, it made more sense, and it also made a whole lot to me, not just personally for myself. Uh, you know, during that time we were in the conflict in the Middle East, and we were having soldiers to come back, and I suffered the same kind of injury a soldier was from the IED last in the ground up or sniper sure. fire and the Department of Defense and the Office of Research was trying to find ways to help the soldiers. And that was the biggest part of my decision to take the risk that I did uh, because I knew on my outcome, it, it, the outcome, thank goodness that it was good and I lived through it. Uh, it's helped in so many soldiers now in so many different levels that we you know, the face transplant opened up the world of different things doctors can do now. That's right. amazing. But if I passed away during that operation, the doctors, Dr. Rodriguez and his team would have found out what went wrong, why it went wrong, what they can do to prevent it again. And also, I made sure before they took me under anesthesia to let uh, Cynthia Schaefer, which is now a very dear friend now, and also my project manager, to make sure that my organs were donated if right. anything was to go wrong. So tell me, wow. you, and, and you talk a little bit about, you know, the risk that was there, and, and at the time, you know, it was felt as probably about a 50-50 chance. Were there any moments toward that end, toward the end there, that you had second thoughts and said, well, it's just not worth it? No. Uh, I, I was given, the way I said it, I was given an opportunity a lifetime to be able to help others, to get others that little drop of hope that can create an entire ocean. Uh, you know, so many people go out every day, uh, police officers, they go out every day risk their lives to help others. And that's how I saw it. Wow, that's incredible. Now, we do have to talk about um, Josh, your donor. Uh, we, we love to honor our donors, to remember them, to celebrate their life. Um, he was 21, um, it was a car crash. Um, and he also helped five others through the gift of donation, but you recently met his family, and you uh, basically received his whole face, right? So tell us. Uh, I actually met the family uh, in May of 2014 at the uh, gala that the University of Ireland holds to honor patients and families. And that year we were actually honoring Joshua for his kindness and the gift of life that he gave to me. And it was actually six other people that he helped, not five. Six, okay. Uh, and I met the family at, that, at the gala, and then we stayed in touch, and I went to their home several times and had dinner with them. Just a very, very wonderful family. And now uh, myself and Rebecca, mm -hmm. his sister, we do, we promote organ donations, and we, we talk about our story, and we're, me and her, and we're trying to get a foundation together where we can help families wow. who are, uh, who has a loved one in a hospital receiving an organ transplant. I've noticed on doing grand rounds with doctors to get the next time the patients that a lot of patients are in the room by themselves and their family couldn't afford to be there because it takes a special team and it takes a hospital set up to do any type of organ transplant. And sometimes it's 100, 200, 300 miles away where they have to travel. Mm. And we'd like to start a foundation 
to help the families take COVID extensions so they can deal with their loved ones at difficult time. Wow. And we all know that when someone's in the hospital, when they have someone there with them, they heal up faster, they do a lot better, uh, they're not as depressed, and it helps to get their mind off their problems a little bit. There's actually video online if you Google uh, Richard Norris's name and you can see him meeting with the donor family, which is pretty incredible. They wanted to touch your face, which you were okay with. Yeah. And, and let's talk about that. Can you feel your face? Tell us how all this works physically. Well, surprisingly, we've had outcomes that we didn't think would happen. Uh, I have total feeling in my face, hardly. Uh, Eight to ten months after the transplant, we did a uh, neurological nerve ending testing, and my test results were off the chart. We couldn't believe how fast my nerves had regenerated. Uh, uh, I wasn't supposed to have any feeling in my guns or my teeth that if something's too hot or too cold, it's you know it's just like people with sensitive teeth. I had that feeling, and the nerve endings for the teeth were never hooked up; they regenerated on their own. Wow. That's how amazing the surgery went. So you can smell, is that all back to normal? That was something else we didn't expect. Uh, I, I lost my sense of smell, and then about, I think right at day 45, uh, I had one of the nurses to take me outside, and the first thing I could smell was freshly cut grass <laughs> from a little place right across the street from the hospital where I was getting ready to graduate a new class of doctors. So, so just to clarify f for everyone, you know, we talk a lot in our previous podcasts about organ tissue and eye donation, and uh, and the type of donation, of course, face transplant. It, it never really came up, and it's it is still very new. Uh, it's it's called a different type. It's called a, vas a VCA graph, a vascularized composite allograph. And Richard could probably be a doctor now, I'm learning sure all this stuff, right? <laughs> no, He's sure got an MD can. after that name. It's no, kind I, of an in-between with organ and tissue donation is, is you know, how, the way I kind of think about it in, in my mind. And it, there's no, like, the list is different. It's, you know, and I'm, I'm still learning myself, you know, how, how exactly someone gets, uh, you know, is a candidate uh, for a VCA graph. Most of the VCA graphs that are done, and he mentioned a lot of soldiers uh, in war, they, you know, they come back years ago, you know, when someone, uh, you know, was injured by an IED or whatever, uh, they, they didn't make it, you know, they, they never, they didn't make it back from, from war. Uh, and now, you know, with the medical technology that's there, they, they make it now, unfortunately, they usually have a, a missing limb, you know, missing arms, uh, you know, or leg or something. And, and more, you know, more times than not, that's, those are the VCA graphs that I've seen and read about, but it, it's certainly uh, it's it's a big difference from what even us in the organ donation field, you know, we don't yet have the uh, an authorization process in place for VCA since it's it's so we don't have any transplant centers here that do it, you know, it's it's really you know isolated uh, a couple places on the east coast and then of course I think uh, uh, on the I, west coast. I know. Uh for so face transplants, you had University of Maryland, uh, John Hopkins, that was the turn, uh, so that's the first one. Uh, New York University Medical Center, where Dr. Rodriguez is chairman now. He has put together a face transplant program there. 
uh, the Mayo Clinic and UCLA, as far as I know, is the only hospitals that's authorized to do a face transplant. It's growing, obviously. I mean, this just from, you know, what, three years ago now to, to today, you name, what, five or six, you know, transplant centers, very large transplant centers now that are going to be starting, you know, to do face transplants. Yeah, uh, we, you know, it's not, with the face transplant with nine, we've learned that it's opened the doors to so many different things, uh, you know, we recently, you know, you recently heard about hand transplants. Mm -hmm, right. You know, I had all my done structure transplanted. Aiden had uh, a third of my tongue transplanted. So it's opened the door for hands, legs, and possibly, you know, arms transplants later on down the road. Uh, transplants to solve the child lost their genital area, uh, the stomach for cancer patients. So it's just opened so many doors for them. Mm -hmm. I have to ask, you know, in in uh, you know, with tissue transplants, they don't. It's, there's no blood flow or anything. They don't really uh, need any anti-rejection medicine. Uh, do you have a, a regimen that you have to take every day? Yeah, I, I surprisingly take a what we call a low dose regimen. Uh, they found during the research with Dr. Rodriguez and and Dr. Dar Stephen Dartley in University of Maryland, who is chief of transplant there. Uh, they've done a lot of research and realized by transplanting bone marrow that that can help reduce the need for a lot of immunosuppressant medication. And I've had people ask, well, what about patients getting a kidney or a lung or a liver? Well, we have to think about the theory of Adam and Eve and the extra rib bone. They can transplant a rib bone to get the bone marrow needed to help reduce it. And the goal is eventually has it where we do not need these immunosuppressive drugs because they are they're really dangerous when you lower the immune system, you open yourself to cancers, fluids, pneumonias, illnesses. So. Yeah, you're well versed on, on all of that, and we appreciate you sharing and, and sharing your message. Um, can we ask you about eating, drinking, driving, sure. those kinds of things? Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's all new. Uh, as, so it's like physical therapy you're having to uh, well, go through? Well, it's or? physical therapy, it's speech therapy. Uh, you know, I do a lot of testing, you know, a lot of uh, swallow testing uh, where they x-ray and see how I swallow to make sure I'm not swallowing anything into my lungs. Uh, I, can, I can taste sign. Okay. The, so uh, are, there, are there things that you have to avoid, or like certain things that, you know, I have to stay away from, whether it's uh, drinking certain things, eating certain things? Well, no, not really. Uh, you know, with, as far as like with the, the medication, uh, you know, if you're on any type of medication, grapefruit is something you really don't want to take because it, it decreases the usefulness of the medication. But, uh, other than that, no, not really. I can, I'm, I'm free to eat what I like, uh, you know, drink what I like. You're in New Orleans. Like. There's lots to choose from, yeah, right? Uh, New Orleans is a, a food haven, you know. You have seeds and Cajun food. <laughs> You know, you just have to be able to tolerate the slices. <laughs> so tell us how life has changed for you following the transplant. So you were once a hermit. Uh, I, was I read you had a fiancé. Yeah, uh, tell us. I, I, you know, I, was, I went from being a recluse to, you know, being seen by, you know, 15, 20 million people in less than a year. You have fans following your story. Yeah, I, I do. Uh, I got to the point where I actually had to close my Facebook account because I was getting thousands of emails. <laughs> uh, you know, in, in June, uh, I'm sorry, July of 2014, 
And Curry had done a, a story about me. It's called The Face in the Crowd. And uh, that's actually how I met my fiance. Fiance, I told y'all. Uh, she was, she was following Ann Curry. She was tweeting about it on Twitter at the time. And somehow, I had my Facebook page set up this project, but somebody had sent the link where they could message me directly. And I got, I got over, over 2,000, 2,300 messages. Wow. And all of them telling me how incredible my story was. And I actually sat down and took the time to email all of them back and thank them. And that took a couple of weeks. I uh, bet. Uh, <laughs> we wouldn't know. We wouldn't know. Uh, time, you know, a couple of months went by, and I always had one message up now. And the thing, I never could find it. And I went back and I found it. It was in October. And I, I emailed Melanie uh, back, and I, I thanked her. And then we started talking about organ donations and how she could become one and, you know, what, what the process is and explain to her. We just... We continued talking, and we met and fell in love and worked still together oh, today. And where um, is she from, Richard? She is right here from Covington, Louisiana. Oh, uh, a Louisiana girl. Good choice. Good choice. We like that. Richard, we want to ask you um, to stick around if you don't mind. We're going to sure. have a live question and answers from the audience here on the podcast, and we'd love to have you around and Miss Sally Gentry as well. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah, fascinating story. Wow, huh, Joey? Awesome. All right, more to come here on The Gifted Life. All right, here we go. Um, how's the audience enjoying the show so far? Okay, yeah. Fascinating stuff. We're bringing stuff from our education conference here in New Orleans to you. We're taking questions from the audience. We have Mr. Richard Norris, who received a face transplant. Um, here on our panel, we have um, Sally Gentry of Lopez Family Services Division here as well. So, Joey, um, those questions are coming in. Let's tackle them. Okay, so here's the first one. All right, Ms. Lana Stevens is going to ask our first question. This is Lana from the Community Education Department. Uh, we had a question emailed in, and that question was, could a celebrity or politician help you get listed or help you get moved up the list? Well, that's a, that's a very good question and interesting because I, I have happened to see a commercial uh, recently about a, you know, kind of promoting one of the uh, local politicians right. kind of making it sound like uh, someone got moved up on a list, but that was actually more of an insurance thing uh, issue there. The fact of the matter is it doesn't matter how much money or how little money or how famous you are, none of that matters. Uh, the, the list is a completely anonymous list when we pull it up from, from our, our placement side when we're, uh, when we're trying to match up the best homes for those gifts and it doesn't say on the side of that if this person's an MD or if this person is a politician or anything like that so the, the, that was a long answer but uh, the, the bottom line is no, no is the is the answer that's there. right that's good okay we have another question from our audience my name's Lauren Buckles and my questions for Richard can you describe the rehab process and what it was like to learn how to use a face that you weren't born with yeah, sure. Uh, you know, the rehab is very extensive. You're working with physical therapists, occupational therapists, uh, and you have to you have to learn everything again. Uh, in my lifetime, I had to learn how to walk, talk, and eat three times. You know, once when I was born, after the accident, and then again after the transplant. Uh, I worked with excellent state therapists who was consistent every single day 
uh, after I came out of the surgery, and I was recovered enough to do that. Uh, and as far as eating, the occupational therapist helped with the eating part. Uh, you know, I still have some some difficulties on eating some things that not quite as bad as we thought they would be. You know, it's, it's really important that it's just like a, a stork injury to Drew Brees right now. His therapy is what will have him in the game Sunday. So it's very extensive, but it's, it's very well thought out and it's very well planned out by the entire team of doctors in the program. All right, next up, hey, Ms. Tawny. Hello, um, uh, thank you so much, Richard, for being here. Oh, it's um, an honor. Inspiration. Um, my question is, uh, do you have people that are, that are in a similar situation as you were that reach out to you um, as kind of like a mentor before going through a similar um, procedure, similar surgery? Actually, uh, to me, it's, you know, uh, a lot of people say it's to honor to meet someone, but to me, it's a blessing to meet these young men and young women. Uh, I worked with a patient from John Hopkins who was on the list there who had the transplant. I've also worked with the one at New York University who is there waiting on theirs, and as well as the one at the Nail Clinic. Uh, and I encourage them to reach out and, and speak to Neil, reach out and speak to a task uh, recipient because it's, it's a lot to it. You know, a lot of people think, well, I'll just go in and have this done, but it's a lot more to it than that. It's a strict regimen. Uh, you know, it's very strict on the medications, at what time you take them, how far apart, uh, what the doses are, the physical therapy, the, you know, having to, most people think you, something you do a thousand times a day, smile or frown or, or pucker, you know, I'm still trying to get the nervous skills back. So every day I have to work on trying to smile, trying to frown, trying to pucker. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's really a blessing when they reach out and talk to me and, you know, uh, a lot of times the doctors will reach out to me and, and talk to me or uh, in one case I had the TR department at the hospital contact me and say, well, how do we deal with all this immediate attention that's going to happen? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I always say the best you can, but protect, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you really need to protect the patient and even more so you need to protect the privacy of the donor and their family. Well, I'm hoping since you're marrying a Louisiana girl, you'll partner with Lopa, and we'll see more of you um, as you go in your process. Can we get a, a confirmation on that as we move forward? Uh, Maybe. Uh, no, no, it's not a night. It's, it's a definitely. Anything I can do to help Lopa or any other state to cure in the program or any state's uh, regional donate life or the mm -hmm. national donate life, it, it's an honor for me to go out and do that. And, I've really had the honor to go out and speak at Donate Life's convention. I saw you there. Fascinating. And then uh, I got to go out and speak with uh, the Nevada Donor Network in uh -huh. Las Vegas uh, last year. You're everywhere. And it's, it's a pleasure to, to, to be able to go out and share my story. And I know that these people that go out, such as you, have to go to the families and say, you know, we're sorry for your loss, but can you donate this? Uh, by then saying it, it helps that person be more confident about mm -hmm. doing their job and they'll say, you know, this is the type of outcome we know we can get. Yeah. I, Sally, I see you over there and you're taking this all in. I know I you am. have something to say about this carefully. fascinating story. I am. What I'm really fascinated about is when did you first get the opportunity to talk to your donor's family? 
Uh, you know, as she was speaking, you know, it was letters exchanged. Oh, okay. And uh, the way we exchange letters is you always do it through and somebody is in the middle. Yeah. So uh, to make sure that everything was done like it should be, uh, Cynthia Schaefer, the project manager, Okay. Uh, she also wrote the entire protocols and got them passed through the hospital and the government. Uh -huh. uh, she was the one that wrote, we wrote the letters to. Oh, okay. And then uh, yeah, I, I, I think they had sent her a letter first, uh -huh. and then I sent them a letter, and it was some discussion about what we'd like to need. Uh -huh. And uh, our first chance of really getting to need was at the Shock Tommy Gala in May of 2013, that we want to make it a real special moment. So not only did I get to meet with the wonderful family, uh -huh. but I also got to meet with the other recipients. Of oh, the that's hospitals. great. Oh, good. And good. It, it was a real honor. And it's an honor every time I get to see them or speak to them. That's wonderful. Because, you know, I'm, I'm their son's legacy. Right. And, right. you know, I want to fulfill his legacy as well as Good for fulfill you. my life. And Good for you. Know, he was he was a young Marine. Uh, he had just enlisted and mm. uh, he was getting ready to, to go off to basic training before he was his you know, so his life mm -hmm. was unfortunately lost. Mm -hmm. So uh, that, that's now you have my an, goal. Now you have an extended family I, everywhere. <laughs> I have a, a very blessed family everywhere. Yeah. Uh, Thanks. Well, um, I'm being told we have uh, time for one more question, so we might as well hand that over to Stacy Landry. Far away, Stacy. Hi, thanks again for coming. I was wondering if um, your uh, sense of taste has changed any since before um, your accident. Like, do you have any foods you used to not like that now you love, or vice versa? Well, I'm learning to love Cajun food. Uh, <laughs> uh, actually, uh, your sense of taste and your sense of smell is connected. So when I regained my sense of smell, I regained a lot of my sense of taste back, and uh, or I had the tongue transplant as everything starts regenerating to the tongue. Uh, uh, I'm slowly getting better taste sensations, and uh, my sense of smell is getting better and better. So yeah, it was some changes, and it still is. Wow, Richard. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Right, Thank guys. Thank you. Fantastic. It's incredible. And I think we should thank him again for marrying a Louisiana girl. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. I like that. <laughs> that was our question and answer segment. Right now we're getting to our final um, comments here on the gifted life. I think we did it, Joe. We made it through a live podcast. Barely. Who My thought that wasn't possible? Put your hand down, Lana. Okay, so we want to thank everyone here. Um, we are uh, live in New Orleans at Lopez Educational Conference. It's lifesavers from across the state who are continuing their education, being inspired about what we do, and that's making life happen. And we try to take bits of that and put it through to you in this podcast. And I think we did a, a pretty good job of showing you what happens here. I think we did. And uh, first of all, I want to thank Stacy Landry for putting this all together. It's been an extraordinary couple days and, uh, and for allowing our podcast to be, uh, you know, so we can take this kind of show on the road for, for our staff to see. I'd also like to thank Jamie from Napolitano for honoring her hero, uh, Cameron. That was a, a wonderful story. 
And, and you know, you can go on Donate Life Louisiana's YouTube again, but watch that incredible video because you get to see yeah. Cameron's parents oh, yeah. embrace her. It's emotional. It's incredible. We share it in uh, classrooms across the state. And it's, you, can, you can truly tell that they are a family. Right. You know. Uh, and of course, I want to thank Sally Gentry for coming on. You know, it's a tough little task here. And this, she did it live. Like, she's not scared. In this live audience. And, I, and I'm good. I, oh! I, I, <laughs> and she's humble. And we learned today. Fantastic. And I plan on being back again. Yes. Thank you. Well, now we're scared, huh, Joe? Okay. Yeah. And last but not least, certainly, I want to thank you, Richard, uh, for telling your story. It is such an amazing, fascinating story. And, uh, and we certainly want to share that with our staff, but more, most important, with, with the podcast, with everyone that listens in. Thank you very much. Uh, well, thank you. And, and also, uh, if anyone would like to help me and Rebecca out with our foundation, we have the GoFundMe site set up. It's called the Joshua Avasana, Stanley Relation Son. Okay. Uh, you can go to GoFundMe, Joshua Avasana. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's such an honor to be here. And, if anyone would like me to come and help them or help our program, uh, you can get my contact information from Lisa, and I'd be glad to. Okay. We're going to put that information on our website as well to share with as many folks as possible, and we hope that you continue to partner with us so that we can learn, we can be inspired, and we can do more to make life happen. Thank you, Richard Norris. Thank you, and I'd love all to. Right. And thanks to all of you guys. We hope that you spread the word about the Gifted Life podcast, that you become a part of the Gifted Life podcast. We try to make it as easy and um, as entertaining as possible while teaching that lesson. Go out and talk about donation. And thank you for listening here on the Gifted Life. Thank <laughs> you.